Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Mike Weaver. Mike is my partner at Vandenack, Weaver, and Trollson. Mike has a really strong tax background and works both in the business, business succession, trust and estate areas, and brings all of those areas together with sort of the overriding notion of tax. And we admit to being geeks who love to talk about tax. We decided that we wanted to do a series on partnerships. We're going to have some additional guests that are going to join us for these series, but we thought it would be helpful to start off with simply talking about partnership basics. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. Thanks for having me, Mary. So, Mike, let's start with a really simple question about what is a partnership anyway? The first thing you need for a partnership is two or more partners. Um, If you are only one person, you cannot be a partnership, and you would just be considered a sole proprietorship. So So wait, so like you and I right now could decide we want to start a business supporting the Creighton Blue Jays, and we're going to become partners in that 
event in that business? We could. Okay, so it's just the two of us. Do we need a written agreement to make that partnership happen? For a general partnership, uh, you do not have to have a written agreement. Um, in fact, you can sort of fall into being a partnership without even knowing it. For IRS purposes, as long as you've got two or more people who have contributed either cash or property or uh, labor and they're splitting the profits, uh, you're probably going to be considered a partnership, even though you might not think you are. So let's just talk about, you just mentioned the Internal Revenue Service. And one of the things I always like to really get clear on is the legal status of an entity and the tax status of an entity. Because a lot of times people will say to me, oh, I have an LLC. And we'll often assume that means they have a partnership. But as you said, you can't actually be a partnership with only one person. So let's just make that distinction between if I'm legally a partnership for state law purposes, because every state has its own rules about recognizing types of entities. Is that correct? Correct. So what you're keying in on is the two different things. There's the legal status of the, of the entity versus the tax status of the entity. The legal status is going to be governed by the state where the entity is formed. The tax status is going to be governed by the code, the Internal Revenue Code. So, and you're saying I can, I don't have to have written partnership documents, but I can have them. So let's say you and I start this business supporting the Creighton Blue Jays, whatever that might look like. And we decide that we're going to have this partnership. It's you and I, we do a legal agreement. We file something with the state if that's required. Not every state requires it. It depends on the type of partnership. And you have to look at each state's laws to decide what you exactly have to do. And then we decide on a tax status. Now, if we're legally a partnership by state law, do we have any options about our tax status? If you're legally a partnership under state law, then you are going to be taxed as a partnership for IRS purposes. So I can elect to be a C corporation if I'm legally a partnership? No. And so that's really when we've talked about limited liability companies on some other episodes, just the distinction I wanted to make. When you actually form a partnership as a legal entity, then there's only really one tax status options. But let's talk about who can be partners in a partnership. Does it have to be two individuals or can you partner up with a corporation? Who could you partner with? Really any, any entity or individual can be a can be a partner. So you can have individual partners. You can have a C corporation as a partner. You could have an LLC as a partner, a trust as a partner, uh, another partnership as a partner. And so one of the things when we talk about different types of entities, there's this entity people talk about that is an S corporation, and there's a lot of limitations on who can actually be a shareholder of an S corporation or a member in a limited liability company electing as corporation status. Do we have any limitations like that on who can be partners or is it a lot simpler? It's a lot simpler for a partnership. There aren't any of those types of limitations that you would have with an S corporation. Remember an S corporation is a, it's a tax status more than anything else. And there are, and because of that tax status, the, the code lays out, you know, pretty particular rules about who can be 
uh, shareholders in that S corporation or members of the LLC in case it's an LLC that's elected S corporation status. So again, our distinction between legal status and tax status. Right. So typically to be an S corporation for income tax purposes, you would either be a corporation for state law purposes or an LLC. And in either of those cases, you you could elect S corporation status, but there's really no such thing from a legal perspective, if you look at state entity formation statutes, you're not going to find something called an S-corporation that's strictly a creature of the Internal Revenue Code. That's correct, yep. Well, let's talk a little bit about different types of partnerships because, as I mentioned, we're starting this episode by using really talking about partnership basics. And then we're going to evolve into some other episodes and discussions about when you should use which type of partnership And so there's this first type of partnership that we just call a general partnership. Can you speak to what that type of partnership is? A general partnership, again, two or more individuals or entities or whatever you have as partners, and they're contributing um, capital, um, expertise, services, cash to that partnership. In a general partnership, all the partners have the ability to manage and operate the business of the partnership. The other factor in a, in, a, in, a, in a general partnership has to do with liability. So in a general partnership, all of the partners are liable for all of the debts and obligations of the partnership. So between the two key characteristics that you normally look at are the ability to be involved in management and what, what is your responsibility for the debts of the entity. And in a general partnership, again, you can be fully involved in the management, all the general partners can, and all the general partners are fully liable for the debts and obligations of the partnership. So by way of example, let's use a more realistic example than the Creighton Blue Jays theory that I was coming up with earlier and say that we did what we've actually done, which is we formed a partnership to create life care planning services as sort of a separate entity, but related to our law practice that helps with elderly clients. And so you and I created a partnership. So there's two of us. We created a legal partnership. We have agreements about how that works. If it's a general partnership, as I'm understanding it, you and I each have unlimited liability for the acts of the partnership. Correct. And we're taxed from a tax perspective as a partnership. Correct. And we any claims, so I have no protection in this type of entity. And that would that be fair to say that that's one of the reasons you don't see lots of general partnerships? That that's right. I mean, a, a general partnership. If you have a very simple business operation, and you know both parties are going to be equally involved, and you, and you just want a simple way to do it, that would make sense. But when you start getting into more complex businesses, uh, different involvement by the people that are putting the money into the thing. Yeah, you're, it's, you're generally not going to see a general partnership that often. And even to the extent we have two people going into a business together, we might say, well, at least look at the limited liability company electing partnership tax status because then you have some liability protection wrapped around you. Correct. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors at Foster Group. We know there are more important things than money. There's the joy of providing a lovely home for your family, the excitement of an early retirement, the relief knowing that an unexpected emergency won't ruin your finances, 
At Foster Group, we're invested in the things that make life, life, and how to get there. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So let's then move on to a little bit more common type of partnership, which would be the limited partnership. And we just wanted to talk about what that is today. But the really great thing in my mind about limited partnerships, there are all kinds of really fun things that we do with them in both business uses and estate planning uses, business exit uses, but they can be a great tool for a whole lot of things. As we do some of our future episodes, we'll focus on some of those things today. Can you just tell us what is a limited partnership? So if you go back to the two key items that we talked about for the general partnership, the management and the liability, in a limited partnership, first of all, you have to have at least one general partner and one limited partner. So you have one general partner that has all the attributes of a general partner that we just talked about. So unlimited liability and the ability to control the business. Your limited partners are sort of the opposite of that. They can't be involved in the management of the business or the operations of, the, of whatever's going on in there. And they have limited liability in the sense that whatever their investment is, whatever they put into the partnership, that's the most that they can lose. So they don't have that unlimited liability that a general partner has. So if I have a limited partner and something happens with the partnership where there's a big liability exposure, the limited partner is not going to be subject to liability in a lawsuit. Their liability will be limited to whatever their investment is. So they can lose their investment, but after that, anything above that, they're, they're not responsible for. Whereas the general partner can lose the value of the partnership interest and plus have personal liability exposure. Correct. So that's the big difference. And so the limited partnership, what might be the most common use that you see? Let's talk about it on the strictly business side. Because I think the answer is different when I think about I'm asking that question, which was a little unfair, because the answer varies based on the context, right? Let's talk about real estate investment. Yeah, real estate is a common one to use a limited partnership as opposed to a general partnership. And I think the reason for that mostly is if you're going to develop a piece of real estate, you may have a lot of people that are interested in uh, the potential of that real estate. They might want to be investors in it, but they may have no experience or desire to actually run the thing. And you're going to rely on somebody that has the expertise in running that real estate and in operating that, that real estate. And, th- and then th- that lends itself nicely to a general partner, limited partner situation. You've got the general partner running everything. You've got the limited partners who are more just investors in it. And, uh, and, th- and then that works. And there's a lot of different ways you see those structured, right? In the real estate world, we hear about promotes and carried interests depending on what state you're in, we find those terms get used differently and they're structured differently. But it's common when you have a general partner coming into a limited partnership, they might be the idea person, the person who is really good at driving by a piece of property and saying, wow, that should be a, you know, office building and would be a perfect place or, hey, that'd be the perfect place for a car wash, brings the investors together. And so sometimes that general partner will also get And we're going to talk about that in another podcast. I just kind of wanted to mention that was one of it. 
So limited partnership, and, and another thing we love talking about is really common in estate planning, and we see what's often called the family, family limited partnership. Could you briefly describe how that's used? Sure. So a family limited partnership, again, you have to have one general partner and you can have any number of limited partners, but at least one. But what it allows, let's say, let's go back to real estate and let's say I've got a, as part of my estate, I've got a significant piece of real estate and I want to start giving parts of that away, but I still want to, I still want to be able to control it. So I can set up a limited partnership where I'm the general partner, so I'm still controlling it. And that, that general partner interest may be only a 1% general partnership interest. Initially, I might own the other 99% limited partnership interest, but I can start giving those away, either use an annual exclusion, or I could use some of my credit amount and give, make larger So when gifts. you say credit amount, you're referring to everybody has an exemption for estate tax purposes. So a lot of times this is an estate tax play. Right. And we also have these discounting strategies that we get to use. So we put $10 million in a limited partnership, and then we say, oh, we're giving away these little limited partnership interests where it's a minority interest. It's not that marketable because nobody wants to buy one unit of this limited partnership because right. they can't do anything right. with it. Right. So it's not marketable. And so we can we get some estate tax leverage. And again, we're going to do a whole episode on the family limited partnerships. But generally, that's the structure. Is that anything else you want to add on the family limited partnership? Well, just to 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 tack on there, the, the idea is not only the discounts, but then those that ninety nine percent to the extent that that's growing in value, you've gotten that out of the estate of uh, gotten out of my estate if I created the general or the limited partnership. So we've done a series on business exit planning, and that's what we call a freeze technique when we're talking about it. So we love our freeze, burn, and discount right. trio is the great estate planning trio. Well, there's a lot more that I could add to that, but that's one that we talk about. There's some terms that get used regularly. So there's another type of partnership that is just worth mentioning because what happens sometimes is you can run into the rules of the publicly traded partnership without really realizing that you're going to run into those. So I thought we should just mention to our listeners what a publicly traded partnership is all about. So a publicly traded partnership is a, it's a kind of limited partnership um, in that, I mean, it is a limited partnership, but the limited partnership units are traded on a public exchange, much like stock. So you're the, the best way to envision it is it's a partnership where you've got or you've got, it's a limited partnership where you've got stock that you can trade on an exchange. So that's appealing for, you know, certain large uh, limited partnerships and they want to be able to raise capital and, and, and all the benefit and have all the benefits of a publicly traded exchange. Uh, that's basically what it is. Now, not everybody can just decide, Hey, I'd like to raise capital. So I want to, I want to be a publicly traded partnership. So there are, you know, there are, there are the, and again, this is sort of a creature of, of the IRS, so there are there are certain things that you have to have in order to be a publicly traded partnership. The biggest one being 90 percent of your income's got to be from what they call qualifying sources, which is sort of more passive, more passive activities, rents, dividends, income or interest income, that kind of thing. But importantly, and, and you know, a lot of it is oil and gas type of things, and you'll see a lot of publicly traded partnership in those types of industries, uh, because again, the code allows that type of income. To, to be used if you're going to be a publicly traded partnership. So I'm going to shift back to our general partnership and really the limited partnership because that's what we see the most or an LLC that's taxed as a partnership. 
And I just want to briefly talk about how partnerships are taxed. There's some of the most detailed and complex rules. And I have to say, I remember my very first partnership tax class in law school thinking, oh, I thought I wanted to be a tax lawyer. But after taking this class, I was debating it. Then, of course, it was hard. So I decided this is a great area to learn. But we'll save all of the you know, 704 details and all those lovely code sections. And we have some other guests that are going to join us on episodes and help us navigate those, navigate through those for the geeks out there who want to understand all of those details. Geeks like us, I should qualify that, saying that I definitely fit that description. But let's talk about, in general, how is a partnership taxed? Okay, from... 10,000 feet, and there are a myriad of rules like you talked about with uh, how partnerships are taxed. But a partnership generally is what we call a flow-through entity. So it avoids one level of taxation. So compare that with a C-corporation. If a C-corporation goes out and has $100 of income, uh, it pays tax on that $100 of income. And let's say it's a 30% rate, and so now it's got $70 of income left. If it wants to make a distribution of that income out to the shareholders and it does distribute that $70 out, the shareholders then also pay tax on that $70 dividend. So you have two levels of tax. You got the corporation paying the tax and then you got the shareholders paying the tax on the dividend. What a partnership is, it's a flow through tax. It's flow through taxation. So the partnership itself doesn't pay any tax on the income that it earns. So it's different than a C corporation. If if that partnership makes $100, it doesn't pay any tax on it. That income flows through to the partners. So wait, let me give an just get the example to make sure we have this. So you and I have a partnership. We each own fifty percent. We'll forget all the crazy partnership tax rules and say we each put in a thousand dollars in cash. And in our first year, there's ten thousand of income. That ten thousand of income, you get taxed five on five thousand dollars worth. I get taxed on five. We'll assume it's all ordinary income and forget the capital gain and all the other different rules that might apply. But at the end of the day, that partnership's income of $10,000, $5,000 is going to flow through and be reported on your personal tax return, and $5,000 is going to flow through and be reported on my personal tax return. That is exactly right. And so what happens, we have that $10,000 of income, and then a distribution gets made. Do you, what if no distribution gets made? Do I still pay tax on 5000 Yep, you do. Uh, so the taxation of that income is regardless of whether or not the partnership actually distributes the $5,000 to each one of us. So we do have to pay tax on that regardless. What happens is the partnership files a tax return and it issues a K-1. And, and on that K-1, it has all the various items of income and everything that flow through, including that $5,000 that we're talking about. We then take that $5,000, we put it on our individual income tax return, and in this case, it's ordinary income, so it's just a $5,000 ordinary income item. When the partnership does a distribution of that, that distribution is not taxed generally. Um, And again, Yeah, we won't go into all the ins and outs of those rules, and we aren't doing... So let's just say we had the 1,000 and the 10,000 of income is sitting there in cash, so we each paid five thousand. Then we decided to distribute five thousand. If it's fine. that simple, right. if it's that we'll, simple, it's great, right? So we'll just keep it that simple for today, and and then we'll complicate it on another day. Sounds good. But yeah, so that's like 
a lot of times. It's so fun to complicate it. Well, that's why partnerships are fun, right? That is why they're fun. So the other thing is, one of the things people will do in corporations, it's harder in S corporations, being, again, a tax status, not a legal status. But partnerships, can they have preferred interests? Yeah, the nice thing about, well, the nice thing about a partnership is, particularly with a limited partnership where you've got a general partner that that's maybe operating things and you have limited partners who are more typically like investors, investors will want different things. You may have uh, an investor that will say, hey, I'm going to contribute $10,000 to this venture, but before anybody else starts taking any distributions, I want my $10,000 back or some part of my $10,000 back. So you can, you can structure your partnership that way. You might have a partner who's, who wants a, you know, if I'm going to invest $10,000, I want to make at least 5% on that $10,000 before anybody else gets any distributions. Um, so I, you know, so I'm going to, I can structure the partnership so that $10,000 investment gets paid 5% every year before anybody else makes anything off of it. So there's lots of those types of things that you can do with a, with a partnership. And you'll see that a lot, particularly again, in limited partners, limited partnerships, just because the limited partners are typically just more like an investor. And it's not, it's not a lot different than what you can do with a C corporation. You can have all different kinds of levels and types of stock, preferred stock, you know, cumulative, non-cumulative, all kinds of things you can do in the corporate world. You can do a lot of that stuff with the, with the limited partnerships as well. And without going into detail, of course, again, one of the advantages of the partnership structure is that if there are certain types of debt that the partnership incurs, that can be added to basis. So you said, well, that's when we start getting complicated on that. But so my generality question is partnerships, as I understand it, have an advantage over or the partnership tax regime because you can do this in an LLC electing partnership tax as well as a partnership with partnership tax. But having debt actually gives you some tax advantages that are not available to the corporate status for tax purposes. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, An important um, concept in a partnership is your basis. Because when we're talking about those distributions out of the partnership that are non-taxable, if those distributions exceed your basis, they become taxable. So keeping track of your basis is very important in a partnership. One of the things you get basis for is the debt of the partnership. And, and, and there's a bunch of qualifying bunch of quali- rules right, we won't right. go into. But. but generally speaking, if the partnership incurs debt, then your share of that debt can increase your basis. So if we're 50-50 partners and the partnership goes out and borrows $10,000, each of our basis goes up by $5,000. So when you think about that, particularly in like a real estate partnership where um, – you're, you are more than likely going to have debt and you might want to be taking distributions out, uh, that can be a significant advantage because you're getting basis for that debt. So we've mentioned that you can have a limited partnership or a limited liability company from a legal perspective, and either one of those can have partnership tax status, depending on the overall circumstances. Why might you choose a limited partnership over a limited liability companies. Generally, people come in and say, I want an LLC. And a lot of times don't even know that the limited partnership exists as an option. So I just wanted you to take a moment to share why somebody might choose 
the limited partnership over the LLC? You know, that's, that's really an interesting question these days when, uh, cause you're right. A lot of people just come in and they're just like LLC. That's all they've heard of is LLCs and, and that that's all the rage, so to speak. But LLCs themselves have only been around since 1990 or so. So the, the body of case law and tax rulings and everything associated with LLCs is much more limited than what, what's available for a limited partnership. Limited partnership has been around a long time. So there's, there's a much more substantial body of case law that surrounds a limited partnership. So if you're looking for something that, you know, is a little more substantive, I guess, then a limited partnership will have that backing in a, in a legal sense. Now, LLCs, again, it's been, what are we on, 30 years now. So that, 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 that it's all growing, but it is just a little bit, it's still it's a little bit more for a limited partnership. Um, the other thing that, the other thing that you might want to consider if you're, if you're talking about a limited liability company versus a limited partnership is the self-employment tax. So if you, are, uh, if you have a partnership and you're a limited partner, again, you're assumed to be a passive investor. And, and in fact, you sort of have to be a passive investor. You can't be involved in the management of the partnership. And if you do become involved in the management of the partnership, you will, be, you will lose your limited partner status and you can become a general partner. But the, uh, one of the advantages of being a limited partner is that you don't pay the self-employment tax. The earnings that are the earnings that flow through to you are not subject to self-employment tax. Which is a whopping 15.3%, right? So let's say you're in California in the maximum federal income tax bracket and you're paying their federal state rate which last time I looked was around 13.38%. They're looking at adding a wealth tax and then you have 15.3% of self-employment taxes. There's not a lot of income left, right. or not a lot left for you after right. all the tax payments. Right. So that's kind of one of the things. Well, Mike, do you have any just last thoughts on the partnership concept today? No, I, I think, uh, again, partnerships are alive and well, and we, we are still using them a lot. Uh, limited liability companies are certainly uh, the thing that we are probably doing more of, but we're certainly doing a lot of LLCs where we're electing partnership status. So Knowing, knowing how partnerships are treated, particularly for tax purposes, it's important in your planning. And whether it's a partnership or a limited liability electing partnership tax status, the focus in our ongoing episodes is going to be the partnership taxation status of partnerships and whether it's an LLC or a partnership that you use, how you can use those in some really creative sort of business exits, estate planning, and various other tax strategies. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Mike. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.
A Huda Media Production.